0: Welcome to The Wonderful World of Dance, bringing you exclusive interviews with top dancers and choreographers and reviews of the world's best companies across the globe. You can find lots more on our website at thewonderfulworldofdance.com.
1: Hi, this is Savannah Saunders and today I'm thrilled to be talking with choreographer and artistic director Charlotte Spencer, whose work has been said to stretch the definition of choreography almost to its breaking point. Charlotte created her own company, Charlotte Spencer Projects, bringing together a range of artists to create thought-provoking work in, a, in diverse and unusual places. Very interested to talk to Charlotte today. Thanks for joining us, Charlotte. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Charlotte, firstly, tell us about your own dance training and what inspired you to start dancing in the first place.
0: Um, well, I guess like many Young girls. I I went to my local ballet school when I was about three, and I don't think I was very interested in what that was. Um, but I always loved moving. And when I was about five, my mum took me to a different dance class in our local town, which was a kind of creative dance class that I think didn't really exist in most small villages where I grew up, and um, and I loved it and I continued to go and be kind of hungry to go Um, and then later I started to ask to go to the theatre to watch dance and I think that hooked me in quite tightly Um, and if I look back at photograph albums um, of me as a child then most of the pictures of me from maybe age six are like me in our living room or in the garden with a leotard on trying to persuade my brother and sister to be dancing with me, which they (laughs) were not very keen on. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think I really considered dance as a career until I was about 16, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I gradually... um, Maybe other things that I was interested in fell away a little bit, and when other people were starting to think about what they might like to do at university, I realised that I didn't I didn't really want to go and study something at a university, I really wanted to be moving and dancing if I could be. Um, so I auditioned and got a place at London Contemporary Dance School in London um, and I guess the rest is history in a way. Um, I went straight there when I was 18 and trained for three years um, and think I was quite serious, let's say like I was sort of anxious that I wouldn't be good enough or it would be um, too intensive or something mm. um, but actually, I just had the most extraordinary experience there um, and it was probably the first time in my life where I felt like I really belonged um, it, it has an extraordinary Um, atmosphere, that building, and I think lots of people feel like it's their second home or their second family, and still when I go in that building now, I have that sense, even though, um, you know, I graduated a long time ago, and my work is not presented in theatres really, and so I I don't perform my work there, but I still have this sense of coming home whenever I re-enter that building, and it's quite a special feeling.
1: And after your your dance training, what do what was your next step in your career after you graduated?
0: Yeah, um, I think it was quite a difficult time for me. Actually, um, i I really wanted to be performing, mm-hmm. and and I did do some performing, but um, it's hard you know, it's hard to get work and it's hard when yeah. you're young and you don't have experience to get the experience. And I know lots of young dancers in that very same position to get your foot in is, is not straightforward. And I I think I lacked a lot of confidence, but I also lacked something of um, just life experience. I'd gone straight from school to to vocational training and I graduated and I was 20 and I and I think I was fairly unemployable in a way even though I had a lot of technique I I didn't have much life outside of like just what my training had been Mm. and I think um, particularly within contemporary dance choreographers are looking for for artists to work with they're not looking for just bodies that can do a load of things Um, and so it took me some time to find my way Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and you know amongst that I did dance various projects for different people but um, eventually four years later I, um, I moved to Limerick in Ireland for a year and I embarked on a year-long residency program uh, where I had access to a studio for 12 months and a small salary, and I shared the studio with eight other artists, and I feel like that was really when it got going.
1: And is that when you decided to move into choreography? Well, I'd I'd sort of dabbled a little bit in
0: the year before that, and that was completely accidental i think i'd never imagined that i was going to become a choreographer it wasn't where my interest lay when i was training i was really convinced that um i didn't have any ideas actually that <laughs> like i wouldn't have anything to make or anything to say and i thought i would be much better suited to um realizing other people's ideas as a performer um and then in the years after i graduated while i was still in london um, I I had a random answer phone message on, on my phone um, from a musician who was um, doing a Masters at Guildhall and she'd been given my phone number by an old choreography teacher of mine from the place and she was wanting to collaborate with a dancer and um, I think she'd called a few people and I was the first person to get back to her. Um, and so we started making something together and I mean so I just kind of fell into it because I was hungry to do something Mm. but I didn't really realize how much it would grab me um and I think that first year I got very excited about um just the process of what it was to make something and first of all we made a duet just between the two of us and then I made a group piece that was with quite a lot more people and we started to apply for funding and um Kind of put on events, and I got really excited about what it was to arrange movement with music in in time and space um, but I think at that point I didn't really know what I was trying to say. I just knew that I was hungry to um, explore that realm and then the year when I was living in Ireland I think i I realized a lot more about what my practice as a maker could be and would be and where my interests were and that um, just the lens through which I looked at the world was a whole wealth of ideas that could sustain me you know potentially for the rest of my life Um, and that was um, quite an extraordinary sensation because I feel like the training that I had in my vocational training didn't didn't really teach me to be an artist. I'm not saying it was bad education, it, it, but it was, um, it taught me a lot about craft, mm-hmm. but it didn't teach me so much about how you foster an idea when it arrives and what you do with that and how that can start to um, be invested in it may be really new methodologies for making that are not necessarily recognisable currently. Um, I think um, from the interactions that I've had with visual artists over the years, that's much more part of visual art training, about how do you work with a concept and create new work from that. And that devising your own methodologies is really paramount. Whereas in the dance training that I had, I don't, that was not the focus in a way. So um, this year in, in Ireland was really special and then I came back and I really had a hunger to um, to keep that alive and the desire to perform in other people's work. hadn't disappeared completely but it was like really in, in the background.
1: And is that when you decided to set up your own dance company, at around about that time?
0: Yeah, um, yeah, sort of. Um, that started in the end of 2009, which was, um, about a year after I finished in Ireland. So yeah, they were definitely connected. Um, and, um, initially it was just a way to apply for money really, um, that I felt like I needed to have, to make a name, but I didn't want to have a company name that was completely, um, dislocated from my own personal name. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, And I think by that point I was realising that my interests were not just in working purely with dance but with other art forms as well so this is why the name is Charlotte Spencer Projects not like Charlotte Spencer Dance or something like that. Um,
1: Yeah. And so your current work has been described as I mentioned in the intro as stretching the definition of choreography almost to its breaking point. How would you describe your choreographic language and what does that really mean?
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting challenge to answer in a way because I think in some in some respects I just do what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have an idea, or maybe a collection of ideas that I am trying to explore, and I am looking for the strongest form in which that occurs. Um, I, I feel like I I stay rooted in. Terminology of choreography because um, everything re- is uh, comes out of and returns back to the body, mm-hmm. even if what that looks like might be really quite different from maybe traditional dance form. Um, so, with the new work that I'm making, um, the audience are such an, are a really sort of essential component um they everyone is wearing headphones and given instructions um and they uh their responses are what makes the work come to life i mean they're alive performers as well but they're sort of quite lightly um woven through this experience for the performers um and Often, my, I mean, in my experience of other sorts of headphone-led performance, I think it's quite rare for that to be devised by someone that comes from a dance background. My mm. experience is that there might be sound artists or performance artists that are experimenting with those sorts of technologies, but it's, it's rare that it comes from someone that has a dance background. And the difference for me is about um, embodiment so i'm I'm interested in audiences having headphones and following instructions because then they are doing the work. they're not watching it. Yeah. they are um, engaged with it physically, and the instructions they hold within them are really detailed and intricate choreography. so it's it's quite fine in a way, um because we're trying to design um a physical experience that happens through time and space and that gives the audience members um kind of agency and choice within that so they might they might choose how they respond to the instructions that they're giving but at the same time we're trying to imagine what they might do and there's quite a lot of geometry i'd say and there's quite a lot of quite um uh, sort of intricately designed exchanges between the audience. So what they realize is that they're not all hearing the same thing. Wow. (laughs) And um, so in this work, there's five different strands happening simultaneously Um, and so it might be that one group of people are walking forwards and another are paused and turning and a circle is being formed by another group and that means that the that a fourth group can be making an outer circle around that or so the interactions between the groups are what creates the choreography in a sense Um, and i think for people that are totally non-dancers or have no experience of dance they might not even notice that happening. They might just notice that these patterns emerge across the space and then die away again, and that's all. And for people that maybe have a lot of experience of dance, they see the intricacy that's sort of built in, and maybe that's exciting as well for them. Um, So it's kind of, um, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting process because we have to imagine it. We can't actually try it no. um, until it's being performed. And last week we had a like a test audience come uh, last Thursday, and it was the first time that we'd had more than sort of 10 people trying something mm-hmm. at one time. So we had about 50 people. Um, and so it, in some ways it was like our preview. In other ways it felt like the first rehearsal because it was the first time mm. that we had... A sort of mass of people trying to do something that we'd imagined um and it was really fascinating
1: yeah what was the um, feedback of the audience who well the participants because they're they're, was, they're beyond audience at this point aren't yeah. they?
0: yes i mean they're kind of performers as well um and and for me it was like uh I was talking to my producer about it and she was saying in the car going in, oh, I'm a bit sad because this means we're nearly the end of the process and I think I prefer the process than the performances. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, for me, this is the most exciting bit because I don't know what I've made yet until it, it, until we see it with people in it because at the moment, I don't even know quite what it is that I've made, which is so extraordinary um, for a choreographer to not know what they've made until absolutely, And we can't even do a dress rehearsal. Because the performers they do different things from what the audience strands that they're kind of accompanying do. So either the performers practice what the strands of material are of the performers, but there will only be one performer in each strand, or the performers do the stuff, the other stuff, but pretending or imagining what the audience are
1: doing. Wow. Um, and so it's quite it's it's quite a big challenge actually. I can imagine. I, I actually also can imagine, and I don't know whether or not this is just because of something I read recently, I can imagine a drone filming it, actually, the entire interaction.
0: Yeah, I mean, it would be quite extraordinary to do something like that. Yeah. Particularly because some some of the uh, sort of subject matter of the work is about kind of surveillance and how much we're watched and what what agency do we have in our lives mm. and what's not. So in a way, a drone is kind of heightened that further in some respects and that would be quite interesting you were asking what the audience response had been and it was really positive um i mean what we've realized is that i think we've made something quite wild which um i i'm happy about but i was quite surprised because the instructions when you when you just look at them on paper and i've been like pouring over scripts and exact timings between different things lining up and how long will it take them to walk from there to there and then what if they what if there's someone a bit slower and um what about if that person didn't quite hear it then what was you know all of those sorts of things i've been dealing with um so reading the script feels a little bit dry, maybe, and um, and I thought well, maybe it's going to feel quite blocky and quite clunky and maybe it, it won't hold much um, feeling of vibrancy in life to itself. But then what you realise is that every single person interprets the instructions they hear differently and... Um, does different things that some of are what you expect and some are completely not what you expect and that's what makes it extremely beautiful and that's what is beautiful about life is that we're not all the same and that we all have different ways of engaging and responding to everything that happens to us and this piece somehow like a little microcosm of that, it's sort of like a little slice of the diversity and vibrancy that life is so actually what came out was um a huge range of um, actions and activities and some things were really quite um, uh, unexpected and chaotic and other things were really sort of tight and formed. Um, and, and and it made me excited. I mean, I feel like we have a little bit of work to do just to tune it a bit more. Um, but people came away kind of really with loads of... Um, impressions that happened in their body like oh this moment of confusion where i didn't know where i was meant to be going and then i suddenly that was revealed to me what was meant to be happening and that was really exciting and quite exhilarating and then suddenly i was like launched into this other thing that i didn't really understand um and then someone took my hand and took me to this other place and you know they i think what was exciting is and um a good reminder is that because it all happens physically in their bodies and it's tactile, they're moving things and holding things and touching things and building things and then um, they own their experience. They haven't just watched it and gone, oh, that was lovely. Hmm. It comes right through their bodies. and, um, And if I think about the potential of choreography to change us, like as a, a, an agent of transformation, then um, I think this kind of participation really enables that more strongly than than other forms that I've found for myself so far. That's not to say it's not possible in other ways, but I think that's how I landed on this way of making for now, um, that it, it really comes inside people's bodies more profoundly than other other ways that I've experimented with before
1: i can imagine but when you as an audience member you often transfer your feelings onto the dancers um, or try and you get drawn into the movement it would be really interesting to experience it being part of that movement it would be it would just be amazing i think as as a participant
0: yeah, and I understand that it can also be scary. Yeah, you don't know what's going to be asked of you, and you think maybe I won't be able to do it, or maybe I'll do it wrong. Or I, I really recognise that the the biggest challenge people feel like it is for them, and that they don't need some sort of special or expert knowledge to be able to participate and 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 I really urge people that they don't need any expert knowledge at all. And, and in many ways I started to make this kind of work because I was really interested in engaging a much wider audience for dance. Um, because I, I guess I was so aware that the, the audiences that arrive, particularly to contemporary dance work, are quite a narrow group of people. Yeah. Um, and... And often my experience of performing and making work in London was that most of the audience who came were also dancers or makers themselves. And I was um, a bit frustrated by that, I guess. I was really interested in how how can we open up our form, which I find so uh, such a beautiful form and such an inspiring and kind of radical form. How can that be opened up to a much wider group of people? Um, and... And I feel like this this work does do that, but it's also a big challenge for people just to step over the line of like,
1: mm.
0: I'm going to embark on this, which I don't know what it is or what's going to be asked of me.
1: I think it's um, also a really interesting piece because of the time in which we now live where social media puts the individual at the center of our, our universe, prob- possibly more Than we did before and Mm. so it'd be interesting to see how uh, a younger generation would sort of engage with that participation experience you know because whether or not they'd be able to you know record that or share that or um, you know having been almost at the center of their own experience.
0: Yeah I mean what's interesting is that I'm really clear that I don't want people to have their phone on them during this Yep. experience yeah. and, and sometimes that comes with some resistance but for me as as soon as someone have has a phone with them and is taking pictures of their experience then they step outside actually of their experience yep. and it also distracts other people because if you know that you're being captured then you probably behave a little bit differently than if you absolutely if you know that you're not being captured um, on camera or on a film then and you're in this wild place because we're in these weird wasteland sites, which normally we don't ever go to or even notice. So we're in a, a kind of weird place doing maybe kind of weird uh, things that we wouldn't normally do. And there's something really liberating about that if you feel like you're not being, um, if you're not being kind of documented doing those things. What what then is really interesting is what people do with social media after Afterwards, after their experience, because it's so visceral and so physical and so tactile, then my experience is that if people have have, in, have kind of had a profound time or have enjoyed the experiences, they really want to share it. Yeah. They really want to talk about it. I mean, people want to talk and talk and talk and talk about it afterwards because it's happened to them. Yeah. And so for me, this is in many ways like the best selling <laughs> tool. Yeah. Um, uh this sense of like i can't tell you what it's what's going to happen but you should just go because it's just amazing or something like that um which we found a lot with my previous work walking stories um that a lot of word of mouth sort of spread um between friendship groups and across social media and and it made me want to have much longer runs um of performances which is not always easy programming wise particularly in dance because we tend to have one nighters Mm. rather than like you know a three week run somewhere which is much more normal within theatre but when we for that work Walking Stories um, we had a two week run as part of Dance Umbrella which is an international festival in London it happens each October that was in 2015 and we had three two or three shows a day for 17 days And, um, so I think we did 36 shows or something like that. And, um, the word of mouth element of us, of the sales of it really worked well. I think we saw that happening and the last week was really, fully booked with lots of um, people on waiting lists. So that was quite interesting how that managed to happen. Um, and I would be really interested if we, if that became possible, with this project if we were like, could be at least a week somewhere and then your news can travel, you know, um, of this un- unusual and um, curious event that's, that might yeah. be happening locally to where you lived.
1: Absolutely, I mean, the, your choreography and the choreographic experience and the participation, Seems very unique. How have you found your place, sort of, within the the current dance landscape in terms of having your work accepted and and celebrated?
0: Yeah, um, I mean, interestingly, I feel like um, since I made quite a bold departure from making more sort of traditional dance work in theatres and galleries towards this sort of very participatory um, involved work um, I've been much better supported by the dance community I think for dance um, it's exciting and it's new um, and so I feel like I've carved a space for myself in some ways that was hard for me to do when I was making work that was maybe more more recognisable as something that people have seen before mm. um, and so it, in many ways I feel like I've been work, work pretty well supported of course there's lots of contexts in which my work does not sit easily um, and theatre programmers don't you know they, they don't have a budget often to program work outside of their venue yeah. so it's been um, a journey of finding who the right partners are for the work that I'm making, and often trying to align myself with festivals rather than with venues. Um, but what one thing that it doesn't worry me exactly. But I'm I'm kind of keen not to get put in a box for like oh she's the artist that makes that kind of work with headphones. Okay. Um, because maybe I don't always want to make work with headphones, and maybe that's okay. You yeah. Know? Um. So I'm kind of a little bit um, I don't know like keen for people to see me as an artist on my own terms and that those terms might mean that the format of presentation could change a lot um, and that I'm not just expected to make a certain kind of work in a certain kind of way I'm, I'm for sure still really interested in how we can move choreographic work um, beyond the theatre, I think part of the reason I started working outdoors was because I, I have a, a long-running like um, love of being outdoors mm-hmm. and of being in the natural environment. And I care really passionately about what is happening to our landscapes. And so I think there was a desire from many years ago of how can I invite people to spend more time in in the outdoors environment, and to have a closer relationship with with the outdoors, and for for many years, I think that was quite separate from my interest in dance. And gradually, I start to find ways that they can be brought into the same space. Um, so I continue to be interested in what it offers to take dance outdoors, and not just into a town square, mm. where essentially you've rehearsed in the studio. And then you just perform it in the town square. That's less interesting for me than what if you make work that is designed to, to, for outdoors, that you make it outdoors, that you maybe live outdoors in the making of it, that it encourages people to be with their, um, their spaces differently. Um, but that's not to say that I wouldn't ever have an interest in making something for the theatre again. I, mean, I love going to see work in the theatre. Um, I don't... I don't know for sure if I will ever return there with my own work, but I don't want to say no, never. Um, and I don't. I'm also don't want to say no, I'll never make a more sort of traditionally formatted piece of dance work. Um, I don't know.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, your work sounds just so interesting and uh, I, I certainly would be the type of person who would definitely want to try it out participate put the headphones on listen to the instructions and fully immerse myself and I can imagine just so many people being interested in that type of format and how that will engage new audiences uh, and old audiences who view, view traditional dance and, and to experience something slightly different which I think is is absolutely amazing mm. and I'm, I just sort of want to ask you one sort of final question Um, because we've talked a lot on this show recently about the challenges that female choreographers, particularly in the UK, face today. And -hmm. I know this is such a big topic, we could probably talk forever about it, but I wanted to um, ask you what advice that you would have for other aspiring female choreographers today to be able to break through, as you have, in terms of a unique view or a different approach to dance or traditional dance projects um for those listening any advice um
0: i you're right i could talk for a long time about this subject and i think it's very complicated um it's not as straightforward as oh female choreographers need to be better represented or they're not getting the same opportunities as men i think um the challenges come kind of very early in our lives, in some ways, to do with um, um, how how we are, like how genders are just treated differently from, yeah. from early, and and a sort of um, and a sort of very deeply embedded system that is not equal. However. Um, I heard a really interesting um, conversation between a female scientist and um, an interviewer on Radio 4 some years ago. And I'm trying to remember the name of the scientist and I can't, but she was kind of leading in her field researching um, into um, strokes, I think. Um, And the interviewer asked her a little bit, along the same lines as you, why, why do you think that there are so few women in the high echelons within science? And what are the things that get in the way of that? And is there any advice you could give for younger scientists? And she said, well, interestingly, I heard this, um, um, she'd read an article that had said that on, by and large, uh, it's a tendency, but it's, um, it is a tendency that, um, with a new, if a job application comes up and you read through the brief, oh, yeah. and if you're a woman and you read through the brief and you think, oh, there's a, there's nearly half of those things that are, are are required of me that I don't have experience of, and I probably won't go for the job.
1: Yeah,
0: if you give the same set, the same job application to and brief to a, a man, then they're, they're more likely to look through it and go, oh, I have, I have at least half of those skills and experiences I'll go for it and this is a big difference absolutely um, so I would say to young aspiring female choreographers that to go for it I guess um, and I know that I'm in the I'm definitely in the camp of reading through an application and going oh there's nearly half of that I don't have experience of I won't go for it but I try and stop myself now and go well go for it anyway and say the things you really have got and the reasons why you are the, you know you're the person for someone to um, hedge their bets on because that's how we get experience by being given the opportunity to get it you know it doesn't just happen.
1: Yeah absolutely that's such great advice and it is an extraordinary sort of way of looking at the differences between the genders and and how we sometimes hold ourselves back. Um, yeah so I guess I'm interested in why is it that I arrive at reading a job application
0: and have that response and meanwhile I tested it out with my husband he came back from work and I just heard this radio program and I said to him if you were you know if you saw a, a, an application for a job and you only had about half of the skills that they were asking for would you go for it and he was like yeah every time I mean that's how I've got all the work I've got and I was like okay
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very different I saw this um Uh, There's a couple of things going around on social media. One of them is about the male colleague who uh, took on a female name for a week and and experienced what his female colleague went through in terms of dealing with clients and the sexism and, um, you know, just how they were completely derogative to her. There was mm-hmm. that and then the other day I saw this amazing thing. This couple, this fe- these two friends have written a book on positive stories for young girls. Mm-hmm. So it's like an illustration and actually Mr. Copeland's in there and it's, it's to to offset or to be the antithesis of the fairy tale mm-hmm. where it's actually a book full of actual stories about actual women who have achieved amazing things and it's a very thick book and it's done for... Uh, written and illustrated for young children, which I think is amazing. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, thank you. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today, Charlotte, and for listeners who want to get outdoors and put on a pair of headphones and experience a completely unique performance. Um, the production is called Is This a Wasteland? and it's coming up at the Our Woods Festival. And you can book your tickets and learn more about Charlotte and Charlotte Spencer Projects at charlottespencerprojects.org. Thank you so much, Charlotte.
0: Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Don't forget to subscribe. We've got some incredible interviews coming up with principal ballerinas and renowned choreographers. We love dance and ballet, and we hope you'll love us. Join us on Facebook and Twitter.